Great honor to welcome you all for this very important session. We will talk about mobilizing finance for agriculture in Africa. And Administrator Powell, thank you very much for having taken this initiative because it touches in some way our hearts. The forum has many initiatives in Africa and of course the nexus between food, water and environment is so crucial today that we address uh, the issues but we look also at the opportunities which Africa offers. We should not forget that two-thirds of the employment in Africa is related to agriculture. And if we look at the arable land which is used in Africa, it's still a minimum of what could be used and the great potential which is available if we provide the necessary support and finance. And Madam Secretary, I'm so honored that you come to the World Economic Forum's office here and um, we are all looking very much forward to your introductory speech. The floor is yours. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, everyone, and my thanks to Administrator Power and her team. The Administrator has been a leading voice on food security on behalf of our administration, including through the Feed the Future uh, initiative. I'm glad to be able to join her, President Ruto and President Adesina today. Over the past three years, the successive shocks of COVID-19, Russia's war on Ukraine, and extreme climate events have had a devastating impact on food security. Around a tenth of the global population currently faces severe food insecurity. The Food and Agriculture Organization projects there will be about 120 million more chronically undernourished people in 2030 due to the pandemic and war. In coming years, we will face the mounting effects of climate change, new sources of conflict and fragility, and more threats to global health. And each successive shock will exacerbate the underlying drivers of food insecurity. And each will hit harder those who are already food insecure. I know that President Ruto and many other African leaders spoke powerfully about the nexus between climate change, agricultural productivity, and food security at the Africa Climate Summit earlier this month. The impacts of food insecurity on individuals and communities are acute. Hunger and poor nutrition undermine health and educational outcomes and well-being. Food insecurity also has economy-wide impacts, contributing to lower productivity that holds back economic growth. And this means food security matters both morally and for the global economy. The United States 
has provided nearly $13.5 billion in humanitarian and development assistance since Russia's invasion of Ukraine to address the global food security crisis. We've also helped lead multilateral action. The Black Sea Grain Initiative enabled Ukraine to continue exporting grain to low-income, food-insecure economies. Russia's withdrawal from the initiative is devastating for countries such as Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Lebanon, and Yemen, which relied on these shipments, as well as for grain importers anywhere exposed to price volatility caused by Russia's actions. Going forward, we will maintain our strong support for Ukraine, call for Russia to reverse course, and mobilize our partners to take further action. But we must also collectively do more than respond in moments of crisis. We must build resilience to them. And this will reduce the need for future humanitarian assistance. It will support sustainable economic growth. In my remarks today, I'll focus on the need to accelerate investments in food and agricultural systems, particularly by the private sector. I'll emphasize the importance of equipping international financial institutions to deploy additional financing for these investments, and I'll address our longer-term work to evolve the multilateral development banks. Today, fiscal constraints limit too many governments' abilities to make investments that fuel sustainable growth. The private step sector can step in to fill this gap. We need private sector investments in technological innovations and to facilitate market access for players across local, national, and regional food and agriculture value chains, including smallholder farmers, producers, distributors, and retailers. Investments in small and medium-sized enterprises, which play a crucial role in these value chains, are particularly key. Of course, governments need to provide favorable policy environments, ones that are predictable, transparent, and incentivize the right kinds of investments. And the Biden administration is supporting this approach through the U.S.-Africa Strategic Partnership on Food Security, which focuses on promoting opportunities for transformative government and private sector investments. Increased investment also depends on leveraging the international financial institutions. We've seen significant progress since international financial institutions came together to launch the IFI Action Plan to address food insecurity in May of 2022. Food security and agriculture-related lending across these institutions increased to almost $15 billion in 2022, and that's an over 60% increase from an annual pre-war average of just over $9 billion. As of June, the World Bank achieved $22 billion in new lending commitments. 
well surpassing its $12 billion action plan target. And the International Monetary Fund has dispersed $1.8 billion through its food shock window. Going forward, the international financial institutions will continue to play a vital role in strengthening food security through policy advice and supporting countries' investments in sustainable and resilient food systems. We should institutionalize the co coordination and coherence that the action plan provided. And we're currently working with the international financial institutions to do just that. There are also existing specialized multilateral tools we should leverage. We're proud to be the largest donor to the Global Agriculture and Food Security Program, which provides much-needed grants, concessional loans, and blended finance, as well as technical assistance to low-income countries and producer organizations. And we're currently working alongside other donors to enhance the program's ability to mobilize and deploy private capital, which will allow it to work more effectively with facilities like the one being launched today. The International Fund for Agricultural Development focused on alleviating rural poverty in the face of changing climate is also critical. The fund has increased rural incomes, expanded production capacities, and improved market access for millions of individuals, over half of whom are women. We're currently working with other fund members toward a successful replenishment. But even focusing on medium and long-term investments in agriculture, in addition to crisis response, is not sufficient. Pandemics lower income. Conflict disrupts supply chains. Climate change poses risks to entire agricultural systems. So combating food insecurity also depends on broader efforts to address these global challenges. And this requires evolving the multilateral development banks, which are a central pillar of our international economic system. We've already made significant progress on reforms related to the World Bank's mission and vision, its incentives, operational model, and financing capacity. And we estimate that the MDBs as a system could unlock $200 billion in new lending capacity over the next 10 years through balance sheet measures that are either already being implemented or are under consideration. This additional financing can be directly deployed to advance priorities like food security. And President Biden has requested funding that would enable the bank to provide $27 billion in new resources for projects that address climate change, fragility, and pandemics, some of the core drivers of food insecurity, and to support immediate crisis response in the poorest countries. Well, today's event is an opportunity 
not just to again highlight the importance of food security, but to renew our commitment to a particular path forward. There will always be crises to which we should respond with timely and substantial assistance. But short-term responses, however effective, will never bring about a world without food insecurity. Short-term assistance can't prevent the next drought or ward off the next pandemic, and these challenges will continue to drive food insecurity, threatening the lives, livelihoods, and well-being of those around the world. Supporting individuals and communities depends on thinking longer term to put in place policies and make investments that build systems and not just storage silos. Systems that will allow people around the world to endure coming shocks without going hungry and to live healthy and prosperous lives. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for the, this opportunity to share my thoughts with this important gathering and uh, to thank the World uh, Economic Forum for presenting us this opportunity and for all the friends who've come to share these moments with us. Let me thank uh, Bob Brende, uh, President of the World Bank, of the World Economic Forum, maybe it will be World Bank one day, <laughs> for hosting us in this event with a wonderful alliance with the most recent turn in Africa's collective thinking about the nexus between investment potential, opportunity, technology, and transformation. Secretary Yellen, I have listened very keenly to your statement and with great appreciation for your insightful opening remarks, <clears throat> which points us to the kinds and levels of interest and commitment that will motivate us to engage more deeply with investors to make Africa not only self-sufficient, but also a competitive player in global food systems and agricultural uh, value chains, not just for Africa, but to also participate in the global arena. Thank you, Dina Exposito, Assistant Administrator for the Bureau for Resilience and Food Security in the USAID and Deputy Coordinator of Feed the Future for inviting me to take part in this very important uh, event. I further take this opportunity to extend special thanks to the Government of the United States and Norway for their patience, commitment and focus with which they have worked with us on this journey to explore and also pursue the best pathway to agricultural transformation and sustainable food security in our continent. The world, ladies and gentlemen, is grappling with unprecedented challenge, global food insecurity of historic proportions. Precipitated by the COVID-19 pandemic, the profound disruptions in supply chains, widespread unemployment and escalating poverty that have profoundly impacted communities and countries across the globe. 
These hardships are further compounded by the environmental factors, notably the devastating drought in many parts and many parts also suffering from floods at the same time. In Kenya, we've had the worst uh, drought in 40 years. The recent invasion in Ukraine has led to soaring prices of essential commodities such as food, fuel, and fertilizer, amplifying the plight of vulnerable countries and communities. Concurrently, the escalating threat of climate change continues to exert immense pressure on our food systems and overall food security. <clears throat> As of the end of 2022, approximately 31.8 million people in East Africa were in dire need of emergency food assistance, including a distressing 6.1 million children under the age of five. However, through our National Drought Management Authority, we have taken substantive measures to alleviate the impact of these adversities. With our Drought Contingency Plan and Emergency Response, we successfully provided critical assistance to 1.7 million Kenyans, investing a total of $150 million with the generous support of many development partners in Kenya, which we appreciate. By 2030, Africa's population will have grown from what we have at the moment, about 1.2 billion, all the way to almost 2.5 billion by 2050. Africa, on the other hand, holds by far the greatest share of unutilized arable land globally, at around 61% of agriculture remains the, the biggest employer also in the continent, accounting for between 70 and 80% of livelihoods, and by far the biggest contributor to the GDPs of many countries in our Agricultural productivity in Africa is currently the lowest in the world, with severe implications on nutrition and food security. The numerous cases of hunger constitute a humanitarian crisis, highlighting the anti-utilization of our continent's immense potential for high productivity and surplus food production. In fact, it's a paradox. The account of Africa's starvation amid plenty is parallel to the account of Africa's poverty in the midst of resource abundance and underdevelopment in the middle of huge potential. The people we must feed and give jobs include millions of highly skilled and motivated young people struggling to find opportunities on a continent endowed with the greatest mineral resource wealth and green energy potential anywhere in the world. At the recently concluded Africa Climate Summit in Nairobi, the leadership of our continent established a clear consensus regarding the roadmap, navigating from crisis to potential and ultimately to opportunity. This roadmap set out in the Nairobi Declaration makes the case for a win-win collaborative intervention with the global community to unlock sufficient resources to invest in capabilities and technologies with the goal of transforming Africa's abundance of potential into 
a global surplus production that will not only drive green growth, but also provide shared prosperity. To this, the Nairobi Declaration proscribes the recalibration of the international financial institutions to facilitate debt restructuring, make affordable finance available to low-income countries, and direct large-scale investment to climate-positive and competitive opportunities in Africa, ultimately putting millions of youth to work and produce sustainably for both Africa and the world. The broad principles of the Nairobi Declaration apply to our agriculture and food systems, a sector that has a highly detailed granular data profile that easily defines the opportunities for investors. A case in point, for example, is the agreement we signed yesterday between Kenya and FFI for FFI to provide um, green fertilizer using our geothermal energy resources as part of sorting out the problem and the challenges that have come our direction because of the conflict in the middle of Europe that has constrained supply of fertilizer to our part of the world. I think it was said adversity is the mother of all invention. We're beginning to reimagine how we can not rely on fertilizer from elsewhere, but to begin to think about how we can use our resources to provide not just fertilizer, but green fertilizer that not only expands our uh, food uh, production capacity, but reduces carbon footprint that comes with it. <clears throat> Briefly, enhancing Africa's overall agricultural productivity is a tremendous investment opportunity, which not only feeds Africa and the world, but also employs African youth and increases smallholder incomes. Investment in agriculture in Africa is the surest way to reduce poverty, especially rural poverty, prevail significant GDP growth, and promote strong export performance. It will provide opportunities also to make sure that we create opportunity, we create jobs in, in, in our part of the world to stem the unnecessary tide of migration that is fueled by lack of opportunities in different parts of the world. Private investors should contribute at least 75% of the 21.4 billion required for agriculture in Africa to play its transformative role. But that private sector requires sovereigns to de-risk their investment. There needs to be a conversation as to how do we reconfigure, because part of what we agreed in the Africa Climate Summit are principally, number one, how do we get the countries that are already in debt distress, how do we, how do we support such countries to breathe, you know, to, to even have the, 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 the opportunity to think about climate action 
about agriculture, and about other things. So extend their tenure, this is our proposal, extend their tenure of sovereign debt, and provide also for um, uh, maybe a 10-year grace period. Number two is we need to rethink about the financial markets, the instruments operating in the financial markets, whether they are credit rating agencies, whether it is uh, sovereign debt analysis, and whether it is risk analysis. These are instruments that have not evolved. They've remained static, and they continue to assign high risk, even where there is no high risk. And sometimes they even assign low risk where there is high risk. A case in point, and allow me to say this, is the financial crisis in 2007. It came as a result of very high risk having been assigned very low risk and we ended up in a financial crisis. So there is to, a need to rethink, to reimagine, and to reconfigure that whole space around um, the financial markets. And finally, um, we need to see how we can, as Madam uh, Secretary Yellen said, how we can work with the MDBs and how we can work with the international financial architecture, number one, to provide concessional financing for sovereigns. And two, whether we cannot rethink again and see the same way we had a conversation about SDRs to deal with COVID, isn't it time we had a conversation about SDRs to, think, to deal with climate change. And this time round, think about it differently. That will give those who need the money the most more money than those who need the money the least. I think these are uh, proposals we have put on the table. We will be having a conversation uh, as we go forward in this forum and in other fora all the way to COP28. The announcement by the governments of the US and Norway of a new multi-donor fast loss fund with a target of US dollars 200 million designed to unlock hundreds of millions more in financing for Africa Agri SMEs is a very welcome development. I think they deserve In Kenya, we recognize the power MSMEs as catalysts for bottom-up transformation programs. This understanding has led to the establishment of a dedicated ministry that focuses on formulating optimal strategies, as was said, that we need proper policies that promote, instruments that promote skills, training, and capacity building. Our aim is to ensure that financial models such as cooperative societies and various financial inclusion funds, including the well-known Hustler Fund, I discussed this with Samantha when she was in Nairobi, um, facilitate economic participation for a significant number of informal sector people, farmers, traders, business people. 
particularly smallholder farming households, youth, and women. We are eager and prepared to discuss and explore ways to attract private investment for small and medium-sized uh, agricultural businesses, the larger employers, the largest actually employers in our continent. These enterprises are critical to supporting our farmers and delivering safe, nutritious food for our people. The potential impact of private sector investment is simply immense, and, and we, we hope we can work together to unlock that space. For instance, let me give a few examples. Synergy, a company converting waste into fertilizer, fuel, and animal feed, is set to expand its production, benefiting 10,000 farmers and creating 300, 300 new jobs. Sun Culture, a US solar irrigation company, plans to expand its pay-as-you-go model, making technology accessible to over 10,000 farmers. In addition, Del Monte investment of US dollars 5.5 million in a fresh food packaging facility and sourcing from 2,000 Kenyan farmers showcases the kind of interventions needed by farmers as well as farmers across Africa in technology and other areas. I know I've run out of time, just give me a minute. You're able to multitask. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just speaking for myself, I'm speaking for 1.4 billion people, so relax. <laughs> I am pleased to announce that Kenya is fully prepared to collaborate with partners and investors, particularly in the agricultural sector, and we are actively working to cultivate a conducive environment for investment. We're doing this not just in Kenya, but across our region. As you are aware, We've already consolidated our region into one single market under the Africa um, uh, continental free trade area that is already beginning to trade amongst ourselves and to make it easier for investors to find their way into our continent and to work with us without barriers, without uh, roadblocks. That makes it easier for all of us to work together. Finally, there is so much to say and to celebrate about the exciting possibilities that are being opened up and, and uh, created in this forum, as well as commitments that both our friends in the US and Norway are leading the way into the future with others, which we hope they will come along, and uh, we look forward to working together. The private sector, in that case, should look as an example to the inspiration given by both these two great friends to mobilize quickly to reap the fast mover advantage in a brave new world of African agricultural transformation. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you uh, very much. Mr. President, uh, thank you uh, for your leadership. We'll have a little bit of a change of the scene here now, so we'll have a three minutes video from USAID, and then we will hear from the two leaders that put uh, the money on the table for uh, the agriculture uh, and the food uh, system. So please stay seated. I'm told there will be a video, and then we'll introduce the next panel. Okay.
The smallholder farmers have got an important role to play in Zambia. These are the backbone of the nation. In Africa, small and medium agricultural businesses are the continent's largest employer. They play a crucial role in supporting smallholder farmers and helping communities feed themselves. My name is Sylvia Banda. I'm the managing director for Silver Group of Companies. It is uh, deliberate that we chose to be working with very small farmers. Our relationship with them is very, very, very good because we feel we are connected to them. We are paying them, we empowered them. Because of businesses like Sylvia's, smallholder farmers in Zambia can connect their crops to larger markets, bringing food costs down while increasing supply. Farming is actually the stronghold for the Zambian economy. And if every farmer can maximize their capacities of farming, I think Zambia would be a better place economically. My name is Judith Mwela. I am a Zambian. I live uh, in Lusaka, in Chilanga district, uh, where I live on a farm. When we met with Sylvia, uh, we spoke and she showed interest in the products and she started buying up all my products. So I was encouraged. She provided a market for me and I was excited about that. Despite the crucial role they play, three out of four small and medium agricultural enterprises across Africa cannot access bank loans yet are too large to access microfinance, creating a $100 billion gap in financing that leaves businesses like Sylvia's behind. Bridging this gap is critical. These businesses can change the lives of farmers and their families. And across the continent, they can drive economic growth, create jobs, and fight hunger and poverty. But we need to help these businesses access the financial resources they need to thrive. Governments must partner with banks and investment funds to support this crucial sector together and help entrepreneurs like Sylvia and farmers like Judith feed the future. We feel that we are lifting them up so that together we can uh, all be proud of what we have done. Thank you. Uh, now we're coming uh, to uh, the first of the panels. We'll have uh, Samantha Power, um, uh, Administrator of USAID with us. We have uh, Development Minister from Norway, Anna-Beate Twinerheim, uh, with us. And we have the Moderator, uh, Rebecca Anonchong, Founder and CEO of Apps Tech. Very much looking forward to also hear the story about this investment. and. Uh, We'll reconvene in Davos, I told the president, where we will then come with uh, additional pledges from other countries too, I hope. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we only have 20 minutes. And so much to say, so right? So much to say. Um, so I'm going to start with you, um, Administrator Power. So normally when we talk about, when we think about PPP, we're thinking about um, big companies and governments and big governments. But as we saw in the video, we're looking at, you know, at agriculture and we're dealing more, mostly with small businesses. How are you trying to support these small businesses? This is a sector that needed more attention than it has been getting. And this is the beginning 
of tailoring that attention. And imagine what it would mean, you know, when you think about who are these agribusinesses, right? These are the people who might be transporting the products from point A to point B or bringing them to market. It might be the people that are providing the seeds and the fertilizer or the extent, even some of the extension services that might once have been done by the, by the state. Scaling that, you know, turns a smallholder farmer into an entrepreneur, into a business person. That changes everything. That means money for school for the kids. It, it means not imagining another subsistence farmer, the next generation. So this idea, and I really have to give credit to my sister uh, here, who was, you know, stewing on this and and thinking about, you know, something bold and ambitious in this niche. But I think in coming together and in naming a structural gap that if we filled, President Ruto talked about all the arable land that goes un, untilled. And, and we, we know that, that the performance at this point is suboptimal because we see it in all the land that could be producing that isn't. We see it in all the young people who could be working in agribusinesses if they could expand in the way that many of these entrepreneurs, like the one you just saw up on the screen, would love to expand, but just can't get the capital. And so how many young people with this youth bulge you know, could be uh, helping design marketing plans and running social media campaigns and, and also bridging some of the rural-urban divides that exist in so many countries these days? So this is a big idea trapped now in a medium-sized initiative. <laughs> so we want to take this big idea uh, and first we need, we need to hear a lot more from, from the African farmers themselves, from the African Af agribusinesses, from the African leaders and learn about how to tailor, you know, what's the best way to prioritize when you can't do everything. But we want what we think is a big idea to, to take the form of a very big initiative. Uh, but real thanks to Norway for, for making this possible, um, giving us an excuse to, to move things a little more quickly at USA than we're used to doing. <laughs> so thank you for that. And thank you for the question. But this is different, right? It's not the Walmarts and the Starbucks. It's agro-businesses that are Kenyan. And the, the knowledge of the land comes from Kenya. And the, and the knowledge of where the next uh, big opportunity lies is Kenyan. And following that lead and that, that kind of partnership is going to be so important. You said something um, about it's not um, microfinance. And it's so nice to hear for once that we're not talking about African women in agriculture and microfinance because we need the real money, not the micro money. Um, and so I, I love the fact that, that, that this is a, this is looking at, um, at financing agriculture in a different way. And I'd like to know how is it different? How, like, from a from a technical standpoint, um, how is this financing instrument different from the ones we've seen before? Um, other than the, the 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 size, right? Other than the amount, how are we structuring it differently than what we've seen before? Oh, and, oh, I'm sorry, and I'm asking you, Madam Thank you. Minister. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, first of all, let me say I'm so excited about this instrument. Firstly, of course, because this is one of the solutions to a problem that we have seen increased since 2014, which is the increasing uh, food insecurity of the world. But also because we know that the ag sector is 
should be, can be the motor of economic growth in Africa. And we've seen so, there are so many lost opportunities when we have not invested in the value chains, the local and the regional value chains. Uh, we know that uh, there are 33 million uh, small-scale farmers in Africa. Most of them are only producing for their own families. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the African continent imports at least 50 billion US dollars worth of foodstuffs every year. Imagine the possibility for job creation and for economic growth. So this is really, really exciting. Now to your question, how does this differ? Well, like Samantha said, we have detected a gap um, uh, where, where some medium, some, some agri uh, SMEs fall between the cracks. What we are doing is that we are, um, we are uh, putting up a fund that will support investment funds that again in turn invest in agri SMEs and these investment funds are you know they have the knowledge on the ground of the region of the sector they are able to detect the SMEs that can grow at scale uh, but are still too small to get you know uh, the, 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 the capital from the banks uh, and uh, it can also provide knowledge, um, technology transfer, getting, you know, giving strategic advice to the SMEs in questions. So it really is filling, filling a gap. Um, and the FASA fund is, um, will be, I mean, it's, it's, a, we provide donor money. Uh, so this is uh, a way of de-risking uh, private capital, uh, making sure that donor capital can um, co-finance investments and take potential first loss. And uh, the idea behind that, I mean, we've seen, we've had these kinds of mechanisms before. I mean, so people would ask, what's new? We've done it in other sectors. We do a lot of it in, in energy. But we know that the risk in the ag sector is considered very high. Uh, and this mechanism provides first loss money from donor capital to, um, to a sector that has been, if I may say, to a certain extent neglected. So um, the investments are um, planned to be between about 200,000 US dollars and five million dollars um, and so that's the gap that you're trying to address that's what we detect detected when we started working on this mechanism okay and and then so what would be next um what's next for the fasa fund what's the next step um you said 35 million each yep um <laughs> it's a good start but it's not enough it's not enough <laughs> um so what's the next step well, the next step now is to find a fund manager. So any interested organizations out there, you know, there will, there will be a call for proposals. Uh, and then, of course, we need to scale up the investment. Uh, and uh, like uh, Verge Brende said, up to Davos. We're thinking, you know, really pushing it up uh, during the next few months, getting uh, more interested donors on the table because there are lots of opportunities out there in the African ag sector. And the timing. So you said before Davos, but what what's your time? time We're setting time it up frame? now, and okay. then uh, then we uh, we are inviting more donors on board. So 
It's no, no time to lose. So administrator um, power, um, we're, let's talk about impact. Sure. Um, what, tell us about how you perceive the real impact on the ground of, um, of the FASA fund. I mean, I think as as my colleague was saying, we we have programs like this, and you know you can even see it. We, you, we, none of us want to belittle microfinance. I mean, we see what microfinance can unlock for the small scale farmer, often the female small scale farmer. But what we I think are have done, and maybe you could say in different places have dabbled in, and that we're now trying to centralize and brand and make a thing that people can rally around um, is this broader approach that centers on SME agribusinesses that are themselves the vehicles by which those small-scale farmers, again, can scale what they're doing, can expand their businesses. And it's not as if these longings don't exist you know, in the small-scale farmer potentially about how much more land they think they could grow if they only had X or they only had Y, uh, but also in the SMEs that already exist about how, about how they see, you know, how much more they could be doing to, you know, work with processors to take crops and turn them into fruit juices or, you know, into, into products on the value chain and a very different part of the value chain. Or you know what it would take to you know have more efficient transportation, mm. and how much that could uh, support efforts to widen the profit margins for the small-scale farmers, for the middlemen, and and for the for the agribusinesses. So, so the demands are all out there. I think what we have to work through is, does it make sense to launch this in a couple countries first? Um, you know, how do we? grow the fund, you know, we, we are incentivizing investment funds by saying that we will bear this first loss. Is that enough? You know, I mean, these conversations are now gonna, gonna take hold. We have uh, the great Scott Nathan here from uh, DFC, the Development Finance Corporation, who in his panel may get to speak to some of this because DFC has done so much actually in the food security space uh, by making a dedicated push under his leadership and President Biden's leadership so, um, but I think what's cool about having development agencies involved as well is that, you know, we're also there, I mean, this is the kind of thing we've been doing for some time, is helping farmers get their goods to market, you know, helping them write business plans, helping them think about social media and, and, you know, what their market share is and this and that. So, you know, as SMEs then get access to, to cheaper capital, get to pursue some of their growth uh, dreams and and proposals, we're right there with them as well, with that Feed the Future expertise. Um, so I think that also might set this apart uh, from a more traditional investment fund that lives apart from the public sector. And that's, that can be, at its best, the magic of the public-private. So what would you want this room um, to leave with what? What do you want them to? It depends if it's the people with money <laughs> or the people with enthusiasm. <laughs> Both, right? <laughs> Spread the word. I think. I mean, we're, we, you know, this has come together pretty quickly. Um, we're really excited about the the partnership uh, with WEF. I think. I think that already puts us in a position. You know, we're we're government officials to benefit from incredible expertise. USAID already has a, a, a fantastic partnership with WEF on trade facilitation, the Global Alliance for Trade Facilitation. 
that could work a little bit like this. I mean, in that instance, their network of companies tell them what's getting in the way of trade, including agricultural trade. We USAID are working probably with Norway and a lot of the places in the regulatory space on customs, on domestic resource mobilization. We learn from WEF's network of companies what is needed in order for those barriers to come down and for trade to increase. It's like, it's again, we're there doing the, the kind of wonky public sector stuff. They're learning what's actually happening in the real world that's diminishing the impact on livelihoods. And so we think both in terms of actually investing in this fund with their vast network, uh, knowing, again, that others will be bearing uh, uh, first loss, but also being out in the world um, and helping us identify where the greatest potential exists for agribusinesses, which, which agribusinesses are going to raise their hands, you know, uh, at the, at the non-local level, and then how do we use our collective leverage to find those local players that are just ready, bursting with ideas and potential and just missing that break uh, that, that we hope this can give them. Uh, Madam Minister, any final words from you? Well, you know, we, we, we know that we need all hands on deck to uh, solve the great challenges of our time, which is food insecurity, climate, uh, reaching the SDGs. And as donors, we recognize that private sector perceives a high risk. There is a high risk uh, in investing in some of these, uh, these markets. Uh, but we know that the opportunities are there. And you know, by introducing mechanisms like this and, you know, saying that we, we will continue, like Samantha says, continue to work on framework conditions, on the policies, but also being in there for the long haul with partnerships to take down the risk in the actual markets that can actually uh, improve lives and, uh, and livelihoods. So uh, let's just get the job done. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> and there are brochures right there's a table with the brochures right by the um, door so when you leave please grab one um, and it'll tell you a lot more about the program thank you thank you thank you thank you, thank you very much uh, to Samantha and Anna Beata for your leadership and uh, we have uh, Mr. Hassan from Canada here with us too, Development Minister, and uh, he is uh, very eager on this. I spoke to him earlier today about agriculture, so you might have someone joining your club already for, 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 for Davos. So um, he has a budget of eight billion annually, so uh, just so you know. Uh, I looked it up. Um, so um, President Adesina, African Development Bank, uh, Scott Nathan. Um, the CEO of um, the Development Finance Corporation, DFC, uh, also very powerful, and uh, founder and CEO of Acumen, Jacqueline Novogratz. Jacqueline? Yes, that's what I thought. Uh, please join me here. Do you mind your name? No, no, you're. Very well, thanks. Hey, how are you? Yeah. Yeah.
Thank you. We'll um, continue to keep the great momentum. And uh, I think we're really all excited about this. And I was thinking that, uh, you know, this is the day also uh, the, the Secretary General has called for the SDGs today and tomorrow. And I don't think there is any examples of countries moving out of poverty, eradicating poverty without also have being successful uh, when it comes to food production and agriculture. Uh, you have to increase the productivity and you have to also have food systems that uh, do work. And the opportunities in Africa are just great. 61% of the um, uh, non-cultivated but uh, arable land in the world is still in Africa. So, uh, coming to you uh, first, um, President Adesina, uh, you also have resources, economic uh, resources in African Development Bank. Um, where do you see this initiative and how do you see unlocking the necessary investments in agriculture, as also the Norwegian Development Minister was saying, you know, some of these um, farmers are too big to be microfinanced, uh, but they uh, are then too small to be part of the normal uh, scheme, but they can in the future be uh, really amazing food producers, mm -hmm. uh, great for livelihood, and also creating all the jobs uh, for the youth bulge. Well, thank you very much, uh, Bende. It's good to see you, and thank you, Professor Klaus, and thank you for all of the Web family. It's good to be here, and congratulations to Administrator of Samantha and my dear sister uh, and Beth on the launch of the FASA. So I think the first thing I want to say is that FASA needs to be fast-tracked. <laughs> so so we, can, we, can, we can scale it up. Um, but, you know, the, the, the congratulations to you because this is a very key area. Of course, um, because agriculture, if you look at the size of the food and ag market in Africa by 2030, it's going to be what? one trillion dollars so that's really where the wealth is and i used to be minister of agriculture in nigeria way back before i became president of the bank and so this is all music to my ears because i've always said it that the billionaires of africa are not going to come out of oil and gas sector they're going to come from the food and agricultural sector uh you don't smoke gas you don't you don't you don't you don't drink oil but everybody eats food three times a day right so food is the place okay now when you also look at it oh good right I, I, <laughs> You know, and agriculture is very cool. Um, anyway, um, it's a very sexy, cool profession. So, uh, but I also think that the thing to bear in mind is how we cascade all of this within the bigger picture of what's the goal, what's the vision um, of Africa when it comes to agriculture. You know, President Ruto was talking about the fact that agriculture, I mean, Africa has 65% of the arable land left to feed the world. Well, potential is fine, but nobody eats it, right? We've got to be able to unlock that potential. And we are doing that at the bank in three ways that I would like this initiative to help to fit into and help to uh, to scale up. First is, Secretary Yellen talked about the case of the Russian war in Ukraine and what, what that meant for food security in Africa. At the African Development Bank, we very quickly launched a $1.5 billion initiative to make sure that Africa can feed itself. It's not about begging for food, it's about getting seeds in the ground in your bowl and actually growing your own food. And it's working extremely well. Today we have supporting, we're supporting 24 million farmers to produce 38 million metric tons of food. 
valued at $12 billion. And by the way, that is 8 million metric tons of food, more than what Africa will lose from importing from either Russia or Ukraine. So it's all about Africa having the, the, the pride and the dignity of producing the food itself. It can. There's no reason why it shouldn't. So that one is there. Um, and that is working in about 34 countries. Second, this initiative to cascade into a bigger agenda. And you were there and, and, uh, in, in uh, um, Senegal when we had a Feed Africa Summit. And USAID was there, also Samantha, you know, there. And, uh, and, and what were we trying to do? We were basically trying to say, okay, all these farmers, the small businesses, agro dealers, seed companies, fertilizer companies, and all of that, how do we bring them together under a plan to make sure Africa can become self-sufficient in food. Look, as far as I'm concerned, Africa may not be able to make manufacture airplanes, so that's fine. But there's absolutely no reason why Africa cannot feed airplanes with food all across this world. You know, what Africa does with agriculture is going to determine the future of food in the world. But you can't do that if you don't have a plan to finance it. And so what we did was we brought together our heads of state and government, we have 34 heads of state and government, Professor Schwab. We've got a president of Ireland joined us for four days, came with his wife as well, which is cool for us to have. And we put together food and agricultural delivery compacts. Those compacts essentially sets out how are we going to make sure that Africa becomes totally self-sufficient, unlocks its food potential in agriculture. In five years, we can't be running around this, this cycle for another 10, 15 years. Okay, now the good part of it is that we were able to, to raise $72 billion to support 44 countries to be able to implement that food and agricultural delivery compact. And many of you are here that are also supporting that. So again, I'm trying to say, Samantha, the, 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 the big uh, AFASA, we can cascade it and take it to scale within this bigger agenda that we are actually working on in Africa. And the last thing I want to say on this is, uh, Samantha was talking about the, the seed companies, the fertilizer companies, and all of those uh, uh, that your fund uh, would be doing. Yes. But many of the times that, most of the times that lending gets done in agriculture, it gets done in, a, in an open platform. So you're lending to somebody producing tomatoes, or, 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 and then you're not lending to somebody buying the tomatoes, so it rots on the field. On the field. Uh, you have embedded transaction costs in there, it makes it very, very difficult. So what we are doing, IFAD is here, and Alvaro is here, uh, we, with Islamic Development Bank, we've launched a $1.6 billion effort on special agro-industrial processing zones. So in essence, these are new agricultural zones that are enabled with power, water, roads, infrastructure, digital things, and get companies there. So you transpose the food and art companies from the, from the urban areas where they are all there, and there are no farms there into these rural areas that are enabled with, with, with uh, infrastructure. Well, what's going to happen to this initiative and commercial financing is as follows. First, the lending will be done in a closed model because you're lending to somebody, you mentioned transport, you're lending to somebody that's storing, you lend to somebody that's processing food, you lend to somebody that is connected to the value chain. Therefore, the risk of loss, it's very low. I mean, when I was running agriculture in Nigeria, people used to tell me, Oh, if you lend to agriculture, you lose money. Well, I brought together 20 chief risk officers of all the banks in Nigeria, and I asked them, give me the probability distribution that you will lose money. They said 90% we will lose money. I said, well, if we de-risked you, and we had a post-loss arrangement, and we fixed the agricultural value chains end-to-end, -end, what would be your loss rate? Somebody said 10%. Well, everybody shouted them down and said, no, 
can't be more than five percent. Here's what I want to say, and to encourage you, Samantha, and, and, and to go big. We ran a first loss program with the Central Bank of Nigeria, $350 million. We leveraged $3.5 billion. Four years, non-performing loans, less than 1%. Okay? Less than 1%. And we were able to raise, expand the share of bank lending that went to these agribusinesses and agriculture uh, enterprises from 0.7% to 5%. So I think that basically all I'm trying to say is there are a lot of opportunities to cascade this, what you're doing. The experience is on the ground to say that we can actually use this. And I want to highly commend both Norad, the minister, and also Samantha for this effort. Let's cascade it in what's there. And I'm sure that we can really make it to really work at scale. So congratulations again. Thank you. Uh, thank you, President uh, Adesina. I know, uh, Scott Naitan, uh, you're the head of the DFC. I know that you're also very much uh, into this undertaking. I know that uh, DFC has already invested a lot on uh, in food security. So um, it's interesting to see what are your plans? Will you deliver as the, the two ministers already uh, have indicated or? Well, thanks for setting expectations so high. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me uh, here today. Uh, thanks to the World Economic Forum uh, for the convening, and especially congratulations to Norway and my colleagues at uh, USAID, Samantha, and I see Isabel Coleman uh, in the audience as well, uh, great partners for the Development Finance Corporation, and this is a fantastic initiative. We're, we're really pleased to be able to be here uh, to join in this meeting. Um, it's great to be on the stage with uh, Jacqueline, a member of our Development Advisory Committee and a close partner in the development finance world. So um, thank you. Really, uh, the Development Finance Corporation is all about mobilizing capital to the private sector. Uh, that's our mission, and uh, initiatives like FACET, which are about shifting risk in order to help mobilize the kind of tools that uh, we love to take advantage of. We do invest in investment funds. Samantha uh, mentioned that. I mean, a great example is One Acre, uh, a fund that's bringing um, financing for logistics and to smallholder farmers in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, they're reaching uh, one and a half million farmers right now. We think that they're going to be able to more than double that in short order. We've put in 20 million into that. They should be able to take advantage of this facility to extend their reach even more. It's the kind of thing that at uh, DFC and at other development finance institutions, this kind of leverage um, is really what matters to be able to have a, even a, a modest amount of money, but this is a, a great start. It allows a huge amount of leverage for uh, the private sector. We support financial institutions uh, all over the continent, all over the world, who are lending to smallholder farmers, who are thinking about not just um, helping with fertilizer, fuel, seeds in the ground, but also logistics. Uh, I completely agree that, that uh, wastage is one of the hidden, um, hidden taxes on this issue that causes food insecurity. So the extent that we can work on cold chain logistics, uh, storage, we're doing that in India, we're doing that uh, all over Africa. But um, as you mentioned in, in the current environment with food insecurity after Russia's uh, terrible um, 
uh, invasion, further invasion of Ukraine, we pledged as the Development Finance Corporation to increase our food security investments uh, to $1 billion over five years. And I'm really pleased to announce tonight for the first time as we're getting close to our fiscal year that we've met that goal already. We've met mm. it in two years instead of five. Mm. Um, this is a big focus for, for us. And as we uh, work on fine-tuning our institution, uh, agriculture food security is one of our top uh, priorities. And we're organizing our team around that. Our goal is to do it again. Uh, we're hoping in the next few years to do another billion in food security, um, working with innovative projects like this uh, that are celebrating and announcing today um, are, are, is, a, is a great way to do that. So thanks wow. again for having me. So if, if I heard you right, you're, you, you pledged another billion here now. We will definitely do another billion, and I hope it will be in the next couple of years. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Um, uh, Jacqueline, I know you've um, been very much uh, into entrepreneurs and innovation, and we're seeing also a change in the zeitgeist in Africa. More young people are getting into agriculture, and they use different tools uh, than the previous farmers. They use iPads, they use technology and AI for optimizing fertilizers and all this. So with your, um, from your uh, viewpoint, how much do you think entrepreneurship and innovation uh, will uh, play a role uh, in food security uh, in the years to come? Um, well, thanks. And it's really wonderful to be here um, with my wonderful colleagues who I've known for a very long time, and, um, and, and Administrator Power and Isabel, uh, and USAID and Norway. I love what you are doing. Um, it is so critical. And, I clearly am someone who believes that entrepreneurs have to actually drive so many of our solutions. And, and that means we have to make markets work, particularly for low-income people who've been overlooked and underestimated for too long. I run an organization called Acumen, and for 22 years we've been investing across the spectrum of capital. So from very early stage, angel investing through what we call patient capital, fully philanthropic-backed. 10 to 15 year investments in, um, in entrepreneurs that are trying to solve big problems of poverty across agriculture, energy, education, healthcare, although agriculture is becoming a much larger part of what we do. Our 150 odd companies have conservatively impacted over a half billion people. So we've had a front row seat to what it actually takes to go into broken markets and support entrepreneurs to help build new real opportunities and sometimes create overall systems. What I love about the first loss is not only that it makes some capital available, but it really crowds in a lot of private sector capital, which the entrepreneurs need so desperately. Um, and I would say as you're looking at structuring, um, it's so important to accompany those entrepreneurs along their journeys um, through an ecosystem approach. And so we start many times with a fellowship, Acumen Academy Accelerators, that help hone entrepreneurs' business plans. We have a, um, an Acumen Angel, Buffy Okeke Ojiugo from Nigeria, um, who built a business plan called um, essentially Zebra Crop House. 
and it um, has created a network of warehouses to enable smallholder farmers, almost all women, um, to become more resilient to climate crisis and have storage facilities. It's really early days, and we always we don't know if they'll succeed or fail, but we can help them actually build. Um, they're using a lot of smart pads, etc. But it's really the business model. It's helping them with talent. It's helping them actually see what the other business models and connect them to an ecosystem. Then we've built something called the Agriculture Acumen Resilient Agriculture Fund. It's this, essentially a $60 million fund that might be instructive to describe because it started with 50% first loss that allowed us to crowd in the private capital on top. But it has a side-by-side -side $7 million technical uh, assistance facility, not just for management assistance, but to help build the kind of tools you're talking about um, so that farmers can uh, communicate to one another, to the company, measure their impact in ways that have been game-changing. Um, when you think about then, therefore, the patient capital and the growth capital that Arif, the Resilient Fund, provides, there's probably no better than a company called Ethio Chicken. These stories are long-term, which is also an important piece of it. Uh, this is a 13-year story. We started off with our patient capital. We were the first institutional investor in Ethio Chicken in Ethiopia. Uh, when it was two guys who, one had never really held a live chicken in his life, but they had this big audacious dream that they were going to take on the, Ethio the Ethiopian chicken industry, which was fundamentally broken. Um, as the first institutional investor, we accompanied them with our social capital, our networks, our access to grant financing in some terms, and helped them build a business model to reach millions of people across Ethiopia. And then the for-profit impact fund with the first loss capital was able to scale it. Uh, and just to give you an indication of how these tiny beginnings can really grow, Ethio now ha is now in six African countries on its way to 10 under different names, mostly Izuma, including Rwanda, Kenya, Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire, um, Uganda. And this year has employed 2,000 direct staff members, 16,000 agents, who buy 50 million day old chicks that they sell to millions of farmers who this year have chickens that will produce 55 5 billion eggs. So if you're looking at agricultural resilience, you are looking at significant income across a wide network of people. Ethiopia credits this single company for helping to reduce childhood malnutrition by 11%. To your point, 16,000 entrepreneurs, most of whom make more than $10,000 a year already, and I am hoping an African unicorn. But it started literally with us putting in a couple hundred thousand dollars um, and betting on two entrepreneurs uh, who may or may not have made it. Thank um, you. We, we have two minutes left Okay. <laughs> for the whole panel, 15 seconds. I just think that we, as we, one, I just think what you're doing is glorious. Number two, what we need is capital, yes. We also need to take a different approach to how we accompany our entrepreneurs and build ecosystems. And one of the things we're proud of with World Economic Forum is to be part of the Global Social Entrepreneurs Alliance because you said it, it will take all of us. And, um, and capital is one part of it. 
but entrepreneurs, I believe, are the solution. Thank you. As you know, the social entrepreneurs mean a lot to us. Our chairperson, Hilda Schwab, is here on the front row, too. So, President Adesina and Scott, you have one minute each for closing remarks. Go ahead. All right. I'll, I'll be more brief than even a minute. Uh, I, again, want to congratulate uh, Norway and USAID on uh, this innovative program. But we need to set our ambitions even higher. Take, the, take this project bigger have more projects. It's what we're trying to do at our institution. The problem uh, is very solvable, and we only can do that through working with entrepreneurs, working locally, but having these kind of innovative structures to draw on capital. So thank you. It's really great to be a part of today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. I just want to say that what Jackie was saying about the youth is so important, but I hope that this initiative will help to do that. And, and uh, we are launching from the bank. In fact, we've launched what's called Youth Entrepreneurship Investment Banks that are new financial institutions in Africa that will ensure that we have access to the kind of growth capital you're talking about and support the business of young people in a life cycle model. So this can actually help to de-risk a lot of the financing that goes to many of those ones. And lastly, you can't talk agriculture in Africa without women because they run it, right? Women run Africa, right? So, so, so basically, um, we have a program at the bank, which I, again, I want to plug into this, which is the Affirmative Finance Action for Women, where we have actually, uh, we're mobilizing $5 billion for women businesses. Most of those are going to be in the agricultural sector. So I think we should try and make sure that this is also something that attacks and supports women and also supports uh, quite a lot the, the young people in agriculture. But uh, kudos to you, and uh, we'll be there to, um, uh, to work with you. And also, hopefully, I'll be like Nathan, I'll look at money I can put into it as well. <laughs> right. Uh, thank you uh, very much well to the panel. Uh, we are at 7 o'clock. Perfect on the sure. That's <laughs> yes. We're a Swiss organization. Yeah, I like right <laughs> so we need to be on Swiss time too. But I think this has been uh, a really, uh, really uh, a great session. I, I felt that I was part of something important and I can see also on others that we felt we were part of something that can have very positive consequences not only for Africa but the world and that's the way it should be so big thank you to um, the Norwegian Minister to also um, Administrator um, Power and to this uh, great panel so have a good evening thank you thank well you. done thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.